you know who the people are that have gotten the Peabody's or won the awards, but nobody ever looks below that layer. And you've got to have other uh, unique voices. And it just makes your project better. It's not like, oh, no, I have to include a woman. It's actually she'll talk about something that maybe nobody ever thought of. So it's adding to your documentary, not taking away from it. Select CT. What's up, world? This is the Select CT podcast, where we talk about the digital media landscape in Connecticut and what it means for young people who want to get into the industry. I'm David DeRoche. I run the podcast program at Quinnipiac University. And this podcast is a partnership production between Quinnipiac, the University of Connecticut, and Digital Media Connecticut, which is a collaborative of Connecticut institutions of higher education working to support a talent pipeline in digital media and content production. I'm super excited about this show because today we're talking about women in the film industry. We've got two amazing guests who have each done some incredible work in feature film, but especially in documentaries. They each also happen to be women, so that's important. How terrible would it be for a bunch of guys to sit around and talk about women's experiences? With us today is Heather Elliott Femilaro. Heather's done some incredible work, including making documentaries about the Holocaust. She's won a bunch of awards for her work. And most recently, she's taken on the role of department head of the digital media and design at the University of Connecticut. And she also speaks Italian, which is molto bene. Ciao. <laughs> I want to say, ciao. That's all I got. I have no more Italian in me. Uh, I, w- I would like to say thank you for being here in Italian, but I just butcher it. My Italian family would never forgive me. Um, but anyway, thank you for being here. Also with us, we have another incredible heavy hitter in the film business. There, if, if there are any CPTV fans out there, you'll definitely be familiar with Carol Evans' work. She won six Emmys over her 25-year career, doing work on African-American history in Connecticut and working with some of Hollywood's biggest names. She's currently working on a documentary about the history of indigenous people in Connecticut, so keep an eye out for that. She's also been a professor, and she's now a fellow at Yale And Carol is also the rare person who leaves Connecticut for L.A. and then comes back to Connecticut. Carol, tell us about that. I want to know what took you to L.A. and why you chose eventually to come back to Connecticut and why not New York? Well, my degree was actually in horticulture. And so it was a real change um, to actually to go into filmmaking. So I decided to get a master's in filmmaking. And in the 80s, it was really California if you wanted to work in feature films. So I went out there, got my master's degree, and immediately started working in television in the San Diego market. But eventually, uh, when I could, I moved to LA to work in feature films. Um, After that 10-year period, um, I decided that I really wanted to work in documentary filmmaking in Connecticut. So I came back. So, Carol, tell us more about that. So, why Connecticut? I mean, you know, I think when a lot of people think of the film industry, they might not think Connecticut, but, you know, you mentioned you have, you know, you're from the area, but what was your experience like once you came back here? Well, I immediately went to Connecticut Public Television because to me, they were doing the really historic, serious documentaries that I wanted to do long form documentaries. And the reason I got into documentary filmmaking from feature films was a national PBS documentary I worked on in LA called Legacy of the Hollywood Blacklist. And even though I was working with A-listers and, you know, with uh, Taylor Hackford's company, um, you know, Robert Wise and uh, and Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg, et cetera, it wasn't until I was actually working on a documentary that I thought this is my art form because you're talking to real people. So when I came back to Connecticut, CPTV was the place to go. And, you know, I I had 10 years of experience, but I basically started as an intern and just hung around 
And eventually, I think it was about two years, I, I got hired to work on a production. So the traditional just you know, keep doing, keep plugging at it, and eventually they uh, they said, okay, here's some money, and keep doing this thing that you're really good at. I love that. Um, right. Did you find that it was kind of a boys' club, and what was that experience like? Did you find that it was um, it was especially challenging just being one of the few women who were in the industry back then? Well, I will say that in documentary filmmaking, there were more women uh, than you know than in other forms. Um, at, at CPTV that were working on documentaries. Um, there were three of us women and maybe five men working on all these documentaries. And I do think that's because uh, there's less money involved in documentary filmmaking. So, um, you know, back in the day, women would be, um, you know, considered kind of safe um, with less money. So I think that's why uh, more women were able to get into the documentary filmmaking world because it was, you know, less money that was being used. And so, Heather, you were also drawn to documentary filmmaking. You have uh, a career that started off in photography, I believe, and, and brought you uh, to filmmaking. Um, tell me about your experience and sort of uh, your your career arc. Yeah, I came in kind of, you know, a weird way. I started out, uh, you know, in high school, I wanted to be a photographer, I wanted to be a photojournalist specifically, and I was passionate about the environment. And I really wanted to um, do work for for change. Um, And then I went to my undergraduate, and I started taking computer graphics classes and video classes. And um, wound up sort of uh, getting and doing performance art and installation always there was always a a time-based video component to everything I did but I was um, it wasn't until in my 40s where I kind of came full circle and uh, wound up um, switching into uh, documentary Um, through all of my work my main passion and I guess is why it makes sense was you know whether it was feminist works or environmental works or social justice issues you know genocide um, human rights you know, that's where my passion is. And I just found that documentary was an incredible form because you had the opportunity to reach a really broad audience, uh, whether that's not through broadcast or through um, internet or uh, in theaters. Um, and, and I think that, you know, and I reached that point in my career, I, as much as I love creating physical experiences in a gallery, um, you know, it's such a, such a limited audience that I, I really became passionate and editing. I love editing. I mean, to me, that's the big storytelling piece of it all. Um, so that's how I kind of came around to uh, this. Of course, since I started at UConn, I've been so um, engaged with, you know, developing the program uh, that I haven't had much time for my own research. So I hope I'll be able to get back into that uh, in the next, I've got a ton of stuff shot and I hadn't ha- haven't had any time to edit. Um, so hopefully that'll start happening in the next year or two. I just think it's one of the cool things about the, you could say the entertainment industry is that you can start, like I started in news, I moved to sports, I tried out feature films, I did animation series, documentary, now I do marketing spots. It's a huge field. So it's, this is all very cool. You have lots of options. And even though you start in something and you do it for a while, it will always inform later choices you're making and later projects you work on. So you should enjoy all the different ways that you can work in the industry. Absolutely. And I think that's why Connecticut has so much possibility. You know, you wouldn't necessarily think about uh, Connecticut as a hotbed for filmmaking, but because the medium of storytelling through time-based imagery has evolved and has become so much more 
immersed in in digital so uh, digital media, social media, you know, YouTube, everything. You know, there's just so many openings for original uh, and exciting storytelling. I love that. So when we talk about all the different elements to creating a film from the from the pre-production to the production, the camera work, and then post-production, all the editing involved, and then there's also the marketing and all that, uh, all those kinds of things. In terms of the culture of the industry being sort of male-driven, do you find that women tend to uh, are pushed in certain directions, but because of this sort of male-dominated industry, do they say you know that these jobs are traditionally women jobs? Or what has uh, your experience been with that stuff, Carol? Can I start with you with that? Sure. So I think that women do tend to get um, you know pushed towards producing um, because producing is you know a lot of detail organizing, I don't want to say secretarial work because it can be on a much higher level than that, but you have to have that part of it. And so I think often women get pushed into that role. And I, you know, I think it's so important to understand everything about a production shoot. You've got to know how to run a camera, how to set up lights, how to edit. There were many times as a female um, and there were, you know, it's, it was, tended to be all male crews when you go out and not, they didn't realize that I had this whole background in production. And so they, you know, not always, but you know, there were times when say they, it wasn't going to be beneficial for them to climb a mountain with the camera. They'd say, Oh no, that, that will never work with that depth of field and the amount of light. And I would say, well, yes, actually, if you, you know, <laughs> iris down, you can, and they're like, Oh no, she knows the camera. <laughs> or editing, Love oh, that. That's just not and you know that that can't work because we have to edit this way and I'd go no actually you can ed-. and they're like oh no she knows how to edit <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's really, you know, we're laughing, but at the same time, it, it's, it's you know, sad that there would be that judgment just based on, you know, your your sex. And I'm wondering, you know, we like to think that we're sort of advanced now, but I imagine that some of these issues remain. Um, Heather, maybe you can tell me, you know, some things that uh, men can do, being in this men-dominated industry that, you know, maybe they're unaware of, uh, of some of the things that they might do that might um, push a woman away from pursuing something. Yeah, Carol made such a good point. And I think it's it's interesting because if you go back to, you know, your learning environment, right, at the university, for example, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I mean, when we we just started this new filmmaking uh, major, which I couldn't believe UConn didn't have one because they have such a great um, film theory and history and communications departments. But, um, you know, we talked about... Uh, Constantly, we're talking about, you know, why is it that, you know, in the classroom and, and Karen, you, Carol, you probably had this experience as well. You know, why is it in the classroom that, you know, the men immediately all glob onto all the gear, you know, and the women will sit back, you know, so that comment about the, the producer role, you know, in the organization, I mean, it, it's true. And, and so, like, we've made an effort, you know, we point this out to our faculty, to our grad students, to people in the classroom. Um, you know, a little exercise uh, one of my my male uh, colleagues does when he's teaching cinematography is he lets the gear out and then he looks and immediately he stops everybody after about five minutes and says, look, look what are you noticing about the demographics of this room? And every time, most of the time, we'll say 95% of the time, you know, the women are sort of standing back and the men are globbed onto the gear. Um, and so it's, you know, the first step, I think, is an awareness you know, and so I love the fact that we are making an effort anyway to 
sort of empower women, encourage them. And then we rotate. And of course, we make sure everybody has equal time, you know, on equipment. Um, But it, you know, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it goes back to Legos and, you know, you know, what it is of the culture uh, of young boys being excited about technology. I'm hoping that will change. But, uh, you know, what I'm, what we're witnessing now is there's still, you know, hesitancy by women to, you know, kind of jump in and and, um, take over for those roles. And I have a few comments. Yeah. So, so in my teaching at Southern Connecticut State University, uh, I I also pointed this out because um, there are very few women who teach uh, film production or video production. It, again, it was mostly male. So, you know, the women that come in, um, I would say to the women who would show up with high heels and, uh, you know, a low cut blouse, you know, for a production shoot. And um, I would say to them, no one's going to take you seriously because you have to dress to work and you have to dress to pick up equipment, uh, lug things. um, And the way you look doesn't, you're not ready to be on a a field shoot. So, you know, I, I think it's really important for women to, you know, be just really professional Um, you know, never say because of my nails or my hair or um, whatever you're wearing that you can't do the job. So you have to come in prepared. Um, When we get back to handshaking, um, the men were still doing the fish handshake with women. And I'm like, what is, you know, we are past that. You know, we're all working as equals. Everybody can shake everybody's hand. You know, this is in the future once we get past everything that's going on now. Um, So I thought that was really important. And I pointed out to the men and the women in the class that they don't, that the men do not call the women girls because that is a way of kind of diminishing their authority by calling them girls. So I said, the men have to call the women, women at all times. And so, and the women have to call each other women. And that's a woman is a, a, that word is very powerful. Whereas girls is not a powerful word. And, you know, it's amazing how many people don't know that basic piece of etiquette. And the last thing I'll say is appearance. If men do just want to not get into this, don't comment on any woman's appearance. Nobody wants that to be part of a professional shoot where you're you're calling attention to a way a woman looks. She's there to work. You can talk about her work level, her skill, what she needs to learn. But if you want to just, you know, be, uh, I don't want to say politically correct, but, but if you want to be respectful of women, just don't comment on their appearance. <laughs> Is that something you've experienced a lot on set? I would say that experience happened in the classroom setting. I would say pretty much with all the union crews I work with, I come in at such a, you know, all business attitude. People don't comment to me about that. I make it very clear I'm there to do a job and I dress appropriately. And so that really has not come up. I have seen it when um, women will make a comment and it happened recently where a young woman said, oh, yeah, I must have been smoking weed, so I didn't get that. And I said to her, don't ever ha- say something where then men can you know, use that against you. And sure enough, every time that we've met since then, um, uh, one of the men in the team will say, oh, yeah, because you smoke too much weed. I'm like, why do you give people a chance to um, you know, disrespect you in that way? It's better just not to talk about things that can, um, you know, that can diminish you as a professional. Mm, very well said. Uh, I just want to make two quick points because I think you guys all had a lot to say 
um, in the in the in your recent comments. Um, one is advice to uh, boys or guys out there who um, are introduced to camera equipment and rush over to the equipment and uh, to the detriment of the of the women in the room who want to check it out. Maybe grab that camera and say, "Hey, look at this thing." You know, express your curiosity and share that curiosity. And also, I think you made a really good point, Carol, about, you know, how women dress, because I feel like we are in a culture that does sort of push women to feel like, you know, how they present themselves or to sexualize themselves um, is how they are supposed to present themselves. So, you know, there are a lot of things to pull apart in that, in, you know, sort of our culture that objectifies women and how women feel like they have to objectify themselves. So, you know, there are a lot of issues, obviously, that we're not going to be able to tackle in, in a half hour show. But I think you guys bring up a lot of points. You ladies bring up a lot of points. That's something I need to also work on is calling women ladies and not guys. Um, to apologize for that. But thank you for bringing up these points. And, you know, I want to turn quickly to recognition um, because I think one of the things that when we talk about women in film, women are doing some incredible work in film, but not so much being recognized for it, except when it comes to documentaries. So, you know, Heather pointed out that in this recent in the recent Oscars, that um, a majority of those nominated for documentary shorts and uh, for documentary features were actually women. I think that's incredible. But there were no women nominated for feature films. And if we look over the history of, of nominees uh, for best directors, almost all of them have been men, almost all of them have been white men. And I just want to, you know, Carol, can I start with you? Just sort of weigh in here. What do you think is going on with that? Do you think that there are fewer women pursuing features, that more women are drawn to documentaries, or that women just aren't being recognized for the feature work, like at the same rate that men are? I, I think that women are not given the opportunity because usually in feature films, there's so much money involved. Uh, when I worked for Taylor Hackford in feature films, you know, he was trying to do very, very inexpensive films in the 80s for $8 million a piece. And very few women are given, just given $8 million. So because they've never had uh, an, any opportunity in feature film, then they're never trusted with that much money to then make feature film. And so, you know, it just, it's a spiral. They never get a chance. They're never given the money. And so it just perpetuates itself. And I think because documentary does take so much less money. Also, I think women may be drawn to documentary um, either for, you know, social justice issues, um, you know, uh, just caring about people, willing to do this, this work. And also it does not pay a lot of money. So your, your main objective can't be to get rich and, you know, to live the big life. You're, you know, basically I almost feel like it's a public service when I did, you know, history of African-Americans in Connecticut in the nineties, uh, nothing had ever been done at Connecticut public television on the history of African-Americans. And I just couldn't believe it. So, you know, that's two years, a hundred interviews, and maybe I got $20,000, you know, so there's not a lot of money to be made in documentary filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, everything Carol said, it was so poignant. Um, you know, I, I, it is a perpetuating problem. I think, you know, it's no, uh, coincidence that the me too movement, um, came out of the film industry. Um, you know, there's just so much blatant sexism, uh, in that. And, be, and I think, you know, she hit the nail on the head in regards to money. Um, you know, it, it and, and I don't know exactly when or how that, that, um, model can, can change. Um, but I do think women are drawn. I think a lot of women are the, the storytelling impact, um, 
you know, for, for, for documentary and the social justice and human rights issues. I mean, you know, it, but, you know, we do things because we're passionate about it. You know, we're not doing it, you know, to get rich quick. Um, but, but it's interesting because you think about the whole production pipeline, uh, again, looking at last year's Oscar nominations, I mean, all the way from screenplay, you know, six male screenplays and one female screenplay were, were uh, nominated. Editing, you know, five men, one woman only for editing. You know, cinematography, all men. 100% men in cinematography back to globbing onto the equipment. You know, so it's it's really challenging when all of those are within, you know, generally speaking, the feature industry. And, you know, the whole pipeline from start to finish is just um, really male dominated. So we've got a lot of work to do. I do think that women are as 100% as capable of, as men for any, you know, work, um, directing, I mean, I go out there with a large crew and I tell everybody want them to what to do. I have no problem with it. I love editing. I shoot. I don't, you know, I don't think there's any reason women can't do everything that men can do. It's simply that the people with the money need to pass it on to women who are usually more prepared, more conscientious. You know, I've never gone over budget. I've never been uh, not on time because they're not given these opportunities. So they really are grateful for the opportunity. So I would just encourage anyone, if you want a really good product, women are just as capable as men. And I think that's what's really important is that like we're we're trying to to do something unique in Connecticut. And we're trying, you know, there's a lot of really amazing uh, women filmmakers in the state. Um, and I think it's really important that young people and young women particularly know that all, all of this is possible, you know, and that there are opportunities and there's a lot of great universities that have great programs and, you know, there's a great network. And so part of the DMCT initiative is really to try to build that network um, and empower, you know, young women and people of color to know that they're, you know, that we've got to create this industry that is more inclusive and um, gives more opportunities to uh, to expand um, what kind of voices and what kind of stories are being told. Yeah, and and today I think uh, you know with all the things happening with Black Lives Matter, um, with um, a lot of people concerned about the status of society and trying to really cause change, the need to elevate voices of people um, who have not traditionally um, been heard is probably pretty significant these days, I would say. And so I would, I'm wondering, what do you think institutions or um, the funding mechanisms can do to, to elevate the voices of people of color or the voices of women? Because it seems like uh, you know we're in a place where those voices have been necessarily suppressed, but not really uh, paid attention to. So I'm wondering, what do you think the institutions can do to elevate these voices? Uh, Carol, I'll start with you. So I think it's very easy to go to all the likely suspects, and it just takes more time to for an institution to find people who are doing really good work that are minorities and give them a chance. So you're, you know, yeah, it's easy just to give it to the same guy, the same guy, the same guy, but dig a little and see if you can find somebody who is, um, you know, African-American or um, indigenous or a female and, and, you know, work to give them a chance and also look at what the projects are actually doing. So say it is a man, but does he include 
women in the project. For instance, you know, I did a project about the Grove Street Cemetery, and it's there's one woman out of 89 people buried there that are ever talked about. And so when I did the film, I talked about the women buried in the cemetery and the African-Americans buried in the cemetery, not just the Yale elite. And so whatever project is being reviewed by an institution, they should make sure that it's inclusive and it really talks about all the voices involved in a subject. So yeah, it definitely seems like it's it requires uh, commitment from all levels in the filmmaking process. Uh, Heather, just we're running out of time, but I wanted to give you a chance to weigh in. Um, final thoughts on that point and also, you know, where people can go, you know, our listeners, our students, where they can go to learn more about uh, women in film and what they can do to elevate voices of those who are not heard. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it really does take a commitment. And I think that filmmaking programs, you know, production programs have to make that commitment to just be willing to show. I think it starts with showing work from diverse artists and on diverse topics, um, you know, uh, and not just going to the easy, um, you know, well-known, you know, uh, um, documentaries that that are kind of the award-winning ones that have been uh, embraced by the the academy um you know starts with bringing in artists of color if you don't have them on your faculty already um you know um being aware and conscientious about um uh, about who's who's doing what pieces in the crew you know what what uh, roles they're playing and rotating those roles so there's equality in that um but i think you know, and collaborating across units. I think siloing um, is, is way too easy because it's been uh, such a male-dominated, white male-dominated um, industry for so long. You know, I think reaching outside the boundaries of your academic unit um, and being willing to work across, you know, we have incredible faculty, um, you know, in our CLAS, our College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, um, in different departments that are doing really important research in, in this theoretically. So working with you know, colleagues that um, if you don't have the diversity yourself, uh, I think is really important and, and make and talking about it. I think the worst thing that people can do is just pretend it doesn't exist, you know, that there is no problem and everything's just fine the way it is. Like we can't go with the status quo. We've got to be active and engaged. And it is really hard work. Like it's a lot harder to go and find the kind of films um, that you want to show that uh, that empower people of color and women. And um, but that work has to be done. Uh, it, you know, they, the, the first step is being exposed to what's possible because, you know, students just can't imagine um, what they can do uh, if they don't see any examples. And that includes people in front of the camera. So, you know, I interview, let's say, 50 people for a documentary. You have got to get people who are scholars who are also women and also of color. Because, you know, you go to any place and, you know, it, you know who the people are that have gotten the Peabody's or won the awards, but nobody ever looks below that layer. And you've got to have other uh, unique voices. And it just makes your project better. It's not like, oh, no, I have to include a woman. It's actually she'll talk about something that maybe nobody ever thought of. So it's adding to your documentary, not taking away from it. You know, we could talk about this for another hour, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. Tell people about Connecticut Women Filmmakers. Well, one of the things is we have a, a small group of Connecticut um, women documentary filmmakers, and we're going to be uh, launching uh, this summer a series of um, conversations about digital media 
that will be uh, led by women. So that to keep an eye out on DMCT's uh, website. That's digitalmediact.com uh, website for uh, a really great series on of women in filmmaking in the state of Connecticut that'll be coming out starting in about a month. And then if you want to see a um, professional website, um, carolevansproductions.com, carol, K-A-R-Y-L, then you'll see how you put up your projects, your clips, how to communicate with people. And then if you do a separate project, always do a separate website for your separate film so it has its own website to go to. The last thing I want to say for students, get as many internships as you can. Internships is where you learn what you like and what you don't like, and you make connections for a future job. Awesome. Definitely could keep talking about this for another hour. I want to thank Heather Elliott Famolaro and Carol Evans for joining us today for the Select CT podcast. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. On the next episode of Select CT, we're going to be talking about building Connecticut's future with Daniel Bibbo and George Norfleet. So please join us. Select CT is a podcast production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac University, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. Our producer is Justin Matley. Matt Werwood is our executive producer. Our marketing coordinator is Marvin Lewis. I'm David Roche. Thanks for listening. Select CT.